Hey, I want to ask you a question this morning as we get started. Have you ever been in such eager anticipation of something in your life and then like you got tricked into thinking, oh boy, you're actually not getting that after all, like after the buildup, but then it comes back around at the end and it's better. Have you ever experienced that? For me, it was at 16 years old. All right, this is a very like fleshy thing, okay? But at 16 years old, my dad, or I guess 15, my dad took me shopping for my first car. You know, I had my like list of requirements of like, you can't have this, you can't have that. And I was so pumped because we found the car. And you know what? Two weeks later, that car was gone from that dealership. And my dad led me to believe for, I think it was about six, eight weeks, Someone else got it, son. I'm sorry. I mean, guys, this was my dream car, okay? It was black. It was an Acura 2.3 CL. I will never forget it. Five-speed manual transmission. Man, I slammed that car on the ground. I put loud exhaust on it. Like, it was my car, right? But for six or eight weeks, my dad made me think, someone else got your dream car. Sorry, bud. We'll figure something else out. And so what he did is he actually went and bought it. And he started hiding it in the garages of the houses that he was building at the time. And he used to joke with me after, later down the road, he almost didn't give it to me because every time it was in a garage, the house sold like the next week. He was like, man, I almost kept that joker. Yeah. <laughs> and then on my 16th birthday, my parents playing this big surprise party for me. And y'all, those of you that know me, I'm not a big surprise person, but like this was really special. And we get all the way to the end of the night, and my dad says, hey, I have one last thing for you. I want you to go downstairs to the bottom driveway. And so I go downstairs to the bottom driveway, and I'm waiting outside the garage door. And all of a sudden, the garage door starts coming up, and what do I hear? Van Halen eruption blasting out of my car speakers. And the garage door lifts up, and I'm just in shock. That's my car. That's the one I always wanted. That was it. Do you know Jesus did that in the Bible? Do you know that God actually led people to believe for a brief period of time that what I promised maybe didn't even come true, and then he comes back around and says, wait, but it's better. How many of you are familiar with the story of the Emmaus Road? That's what I'm going to be preaching on this morning. If you'll turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, we're going to preach on the Emmaus Road, and I've subtitled this message, Grace for Miles. Grace for Miles. We're going to start in verse number 13. Verse 13, now that very day, which by the way was Easter, okay? The verses 1 through 12 leading up to verse 13 was the uh, resurrection story of Jesus. It was the women going to the tomb, discovering there is no Jesus there, encountering angels saying, why are you looking for the dead amongst the living? I'm sorry, or why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Okay, so that's the backstory. That's leading up to here. All right, so now that very day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and debating these things, Jesus himself approached and began to accompany them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. 
Have you ever not recognized Jesus on a journey in your life? Has there ever been a time when you're like, man, I am so flying solo here. Where are you at, God? And all the while, he's working behind the scenes in a way that you can't see, you can't feel, but he is setting you up for what's to come. Have you ever been there? That's where these two men are at. The Bible clearly says, Jesus kept them from recognizing him. We're going to discover why in a minute. Verse 17, then he, being Jesus, said to them, what are these matters that you are discussing so intensely as you walk along? Surely Jesus was like chuckling inside, right? Like, I know what the answer to my own question is, but I want to hear what you have to say anyway. Either that or he was like being a parent who was like, intentionally, ignorantly, on purpose, asking a question that they already know the answer to. Any, I mean, any of y'all do that with your teenagers? Mine did with me. Okay, I don't know about y'all. Maybe your teenagers are better than I was. And it says then they stood still looking sad because things had not turned out how they expected it to turn out. So the disciples were sad, right? But they're in the presence of Jesus. They don't know it. Let's keep going. Verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? You know, even in Jesus's day, word spread quickly through Facebook. I mean, the land. Excuse me, slip of the tongue. Even in Jesus's day, those that weren't there in the moment, word still got around. So people were still coming to Jerusalem because of the stories that they heard, even though they hadn't been there and experienced themselves. And, he, and these, these disciples are saying to Jesus' face, do you not know? Like, where have you been hiding under a rock? So Jesus said to him in verse 19, said to them in verse 19, what things? The things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. A man who, with powerful deeds and words, proved to be a prophet before God and the people, and how our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. I want to stop right there for just a minute because if there's nothing else you hear this morning, this is all that matters. Jesus was a sinless man. He was handed over unjustly. He was beaten, crucified, died, buried, raised from the dead for you and me. If you miss everything else I say, but you capture that one truth this morning, then I did my job. But it doesn't stop there. And in verse number 21, the disciples continue to say, but we had hoped. Somebody said, say, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Not only this, but it is now the third day since these things happened. So they are confessing with their mouths. Jesus told us that he was going to die, be buried and raised on the third day. But he just said to them, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to come to redeem Israel. 
How many of you know that sometimes things don't work out how we hope, how we think the plan is supposed to go because God's plans, God's uh, ways are higher than our ways. His plans are better than our plans. He sees the big picture. We're just in the moment. Furthermore, verse 22, some women of our group amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning and when they did not find his body, they came back and said they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Even those who walked with Jesus doubted, questioned the word and the promises of God who was standing right in front of them saying it to their faces. So let me tell you something this morning. There's grace for the times when you doubt. There's grace for the times when you question. There's grace for the times when you go, God, I don't feel you here. I don't know what to do. Where are you, God? There's grace for that. If there was grace for the disciples, there's grace for us right? Jesus lives in us, but like he's not face to face with us the same way he was back then. There's grace for that. There's grace for doubt. But the glory is that in that grace is the fact that he is not satisfied with leaving you just how you are on your journey. So there's grace for when you screw up. There's grace for when you fall down. There's grace for when you say, God, I don't understand it. I'm not doing that. And, but, there's, but the glory is he wants you coming back. He's not going to leave you over here when his plan is over there. Verse 25, so he, being Jesus, said to them, you foolish people. Wow. You foolish people, how slow of heart you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. Let me tell you something. Grace and rebuke are not mutually exclusive. Grace does not equal the absence of correction. Grace means I love you too much to leave you where you're at, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct you, and I know you feel down right now, but let's get back up and keep going. Grace for miles, because sometimes we as humans, we backtrack when God's saying, no, 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 I'm calling you forward. But there's a lesson to be learned on every step of the journey. Hmm. Verse 28. So they approached the village where they were going. He acted as though he wanted to go further. He acted as though. Again, Jesus is, is kind of tricking them a little bit here. He's acting like he wants to go further. Why? We're going to find out here in the next verse. But have you ever felt like Jesus was moving away from you as though he was leaving you behind? As though you were a fish out of water. As though Jesus were standing on calm, dry land while you're being beaten and battered by the wind and the waves. As though. Now here's why. Here's why Jesus did this. 
29, he wanted them to do this, but they urged him, stay with us because it is getting towards evening and the day is almost done. So we went in to stay with them. Now listen to this, verse 30. When he had taken his place at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. I want to tell you, be careful when you ask Jesus to stay with you, because he is going to come in to your house. He's going to sit at your table. He's going to take your bread. He's going to bless it, and then sometimes he's going to have to break it. And then he's going to serve it to you. Wow. When, when Jesus comes into your life, he does not come to play second fiddle. He comes to take over, to change you. Now, I want to be very clear. Salvation happens in one moment. Chris, put that, put that graphic up that I have up here for the grace for miles. Salvation happens in a moment. There is no when you stop this, when you start that, when you stop seeing her, start seeing him, stop going there. There's none of that is none of those conditions are put on you in order to secure your place in eternity by professing that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. But there is still a whole lot of time between salvation and eternity. And this is a journey because we are called as Christians when we accept Christ into our lives to no longer participate in the things of this world called sin, but we are called to be redeemed by the blood of the lamb, transformed into the likeness of Jesus, and that every single day to ensue after you become more like him. Now, that's not possible in our human nature. But thank you, Jesus, that impossible is God's specialty. Because all that he's asking for is just a step. Not a sprint. He's not even asking for the mile. He's asking for the effort. If you put your effort in, the very best effort you have, you know what he does? He comes in and makes up the rest. Because when you are weak, he is strong. And the moment that you get it in your head that I'm good enough, I'm great enough, I don't sin anymore, I say all the right things, I tithe every week, I go down your laundry list, the moment you get there, I promise you, it's going to seem as though Jesus wants to go further. And you're going to feel like he is leaving you. But he's not. He's stretching you. Josiah and Carson, y'all come on up for me. I'm going to illustrate this in a way that is like, it's going to blow your mind, all right? You ready for this? All right, you're good. Carson represents who I was the day I was saved. Josiah represents who God is calling me to be. Or you could say, Jesus, okay? And there are some times when I can't fully reach this person, and at first, when you first get saved, it's a lot easier to reach back than it is forward. But after some time, and one step at a time, you start inching. But here's what happens. You are never going to arrive. Because then as soon as you get close, step with me. Jesus takes a step forward. Take another one. A step forward. 
Keep coming to me. Now, listen, it's frustrating sometimes when you go, gosh, I'm beating my head against the wall and I just can't conquer this sin or this temptation or this struggle. And you know what the Lord's calling you to do in that moment is to actually turn and go, but look how far I've come. I'm not there anymore. God's calling me here. So I'm gonna celebrate this gap and I'm gonna work on this one. And you are never gonna make it all the way there until the Lord calls you to heaven and says, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't mean you didn't mess up. It means you didn't stop. You weren't satisfied with where you were at. All right, so we're gonna go to verse 31 here, all right? And I'm gonna start wrapping this up in just a minute. At this point, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Then he vanished out of their sight. So let me, let me just boil this down, okay? For seven miles, Jesus walked with them, hidden from their eyes. As soon as he sat down with them at a table, blessed and broke their bread, gave it to them, then their eyes were opened for a second, and then it says immediately he vanished again. There are going to be seasons of your life, some long, some very short, and some in between, that Jesus is going to be so ever-present and he's going to feel like he's a mile away at the same time. But there is not one step of your journey as you forsake who you were, stretch towards who you were becoming or made to be. There's not one step that lacks purpose. Verse 32, they said to each other, this is after they recognized him, after he'd vanished, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while he, was asked, while he was speaking with us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Didn't our hearts burn? The Greek word there is cardia. Makes sense, right? Heart, cardia, cardiologist, it's where it comes from, Okay. But what that word cardia means is actually not, has nothing to do with heart. It actually means, it's, or I'm sorry, it's actually a word used to describe an expression of intense emotion of their response. Okay, let, let me put it another way because this went straight over some of y'all's heads. It is the expression of emotion from Jesus speaking into their life. So here's my question. This is my big question for you this morning. How is your heart responding when Jesus speaks and moves in your life? Not every response is emotion, though. Let me be clear. Not every response is emotion. If you take my wife and I, for instance, I am more the emotional responder of the two. I'm the one that's going to that's gonna cry. I'm the one that's going to get frustrated and lash out. She's a little bit more even and keeps me at bay. <laughs> so not every response has to do with emotion, but it has to do with your reaction. What are you going to do as a result of what the Lord is speaking to you, of what the Lord is doing in you? of the, the, the journey that he has you on. I'm asking you about the response to the life, death, 
burial, resurrection power of Jesus at work in your life and the way that he interacts with you on a daily basis. That response trickles down into the way you treat your spouse. That trickles down into the way you interact with your children. That trickles down into the way you respect your boss when he treats you unfairly. That trickles down into how you treat the person or talk to the person who can't even hear you that cut you off in traffic. Okay, let me get like a little real with y'all. That trickles down to the person that voted differently than you on November. Come on. Jesus's work in your life changes the way you live. It does not just guarantee you a one-way ticket into heaven. If that's all this is to you, we need to have a conversation because I think we're missing the point this morning. Jesus is not interested in just saving you. He is interested in developing you into his likeness, into his glory, into being the hands and the feet and the light in this world every day because you weren't saved just for you. You were saved to preach the gospel to other people that he also died for. How are you responding to the grace and love of Jesus? Verse 33. So they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them gathered together and saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. Sometimes when Jesus is in a situation in your life and you're not recognizing that he's at work, it is not until you get broken that you recognize what's actually happening. And and I want to challenge you, give thanks, give praise, give glory to God for even the times that you feel broken. Because if you are broken, broken, you are going to be restored. And when you are restored, God's not going to restore you to what you were before you were broken. He's going to restore you to a new. You are going to learn from something. You might have a couple of battle scars, but that's part of your testimony. Skip down to verse 46. Thus it stands written that the Christ would suffer and would rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem and you are my witnesses to these things. You see, what God saved you from is the very same thing God saved you for. He saved you from sin for the purpose of being that bridge that connects other people from their sin to Jesus too. He didn't save you so that you can just be holier than thou. And I'm not gonna hang out with people that don't think like I do, talk like I do. Oh, he smells like alcohol. I don't wanna hang out with him. Oh, I saw what they did last Friday night. Oh, I saw on Instagram what she did. No, he's saying 
you were saved from that sin. I want to save them from that sin. And I want to use you to do it. This is the call of a Christian. Yes, it's, in, it's to be in communion, holy communion with the Lord God Almighty, with our creator. But it is to be restored into the likeness of Jesus Christ that was broken with Adam and Eve. The intention was never to even have to have a savior. The intention was for us to be in perfect holy communion with God the Father at all times. And we humans mess that up every day. Don't blame Adam and Eve. We mess it up every day. But the purpose of Jesus is to restore. I don't pretend to know your circumstances, your victories, your battles, what's got you down, what you're celebrating. But what I know is that there is a, uh, there is abundant grace for every step of the journey you're on right now. And that every step has a purpose. And with every step you take towards God, you take one away from who you were and one towards who you're supposed to be. Celebrate how far you've come, but keep your eyes focused on where you're called to go. And when those two things are kept in check, we don't have the dips of where are you, God? Where are you, God? Where are you, God? But we have the understanding of he is my ever-present help in my time of need. He is my provider. He is Jehovah God. He is I am. Not I was, not I will be, I am right now, whatever you need me to be. And not our ways, but his. Because he knows what you need before you ever need.